welcome to another edition of uh, I nearly said the horns of Naimon, but I, I mean to say the Naimon be praised. The Naimon uh, be I'm praised, Jack. and I'm Joe. And uh, we are here to we can't we've we've kind of conned you this week. I'm very sorry. We 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 threw oh, yeah. out a red herring last time. Yeah, we said we were we talking about to... something else, didn't we? Yeah, we have entirely deceived you. But before we tell you how we've deceived you, uh, Joe, what, what quote from the Horns of Nine would have you chosen this week? Uh, well, mine is obviously naturally the fabulous Soul Deed, because I think I took a little break from him last week. Uh, and I go, the great pact nears its completion. The Nymon be praised. Scholar shall rise and conquer. Thank you. Well... <laughs> Well, funny you should say that. I've also got uh, a line which I think is addressed because that line's from Soldeed, isn't it? Yeah. I've I put a line addressed to Soldeed. Oh, go on. Uh, uh, from from the Naimon himself. Oh. I'll try to do my because uh, you know I was like it's been however many episodes we've recorded. Frankly, I had no idea. Um, and I was just like, we haven't actually quoted Naimons themselves. We didn't want. We both just uh, sort of went. <laughs> you know, you know that that's always going to be my last resort. If I can't think of a quote, I'll just go. <laughs> um, I mean, they do do the that, line, uh, don't they? They do do that in the episode. Just lumber about, making noises. Uh, with their big wavy hands that are so stiff, it's like they need to go to like you know an actual what's the, what's it, an acupuncturist? I remember the word. Oh, they could they could use their horns on each other. Oh, sorry, that sounds obscene. Oh, I so my so <laughs> my quote is. Uh, is uh, you dare to speak to me of failure? Be mindful of the terms <laughs> of the pact, soul deed. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were put your name on voice. Oh man. Uh, uh, but you know what? Yourself, All those improv classes have done you the world of good, you know. Ah. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about this week's episode. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, there are no Nymons in the story. But uh, <laughs> get a hold of yourself. Sorry, no, we're I'm laughing. Fine. I'm fine. I just really have an, a, a mad okay. urge to watch the Horns of Nymon now. We need to do an episode soon about the Horns of Nymon. Okay, we sorry. Can't, <clears throat> we can't. Hmm? I um no, never mind. I was just saying we can't do another U-turn in this episode and go, we're not gonna talk about this, we're gonna talk about this. No, we can't talk about this, we're actually gonna talk about the horns of nine what? Well, I can tell you um, what we're not gonna be talking about, and that is the second half yeah. of Rusty Davis's first season um as showrunner. Because somewhere yeah. in the middle of the week, I had a bright spark idea that we haven't actually spoken about you can almost hear the collective anticipation and hisses that are due. Jodie Whittaker, at all. We haven't, we haven't talked about the, yeah, the, the, the Chris Chibnall era at all. I'm not going to hiss. Other name, Chris Chibnall. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, well, I've said his name now, so, you know, the, the cat's out of the bag. The, the, one, the one person who's listening to this podcast who was desperately anticipating us talking about the long game is just flipping a table somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think every time Ch- Chris Chibnall's you- name is mentioned, like, somebody throws excrement at a wall or something? I hope not, because that's very unhygienic, and we don't need such practices in these times of social distancing. There are just some wonderfully... I mean, it's terrifying in a way. Absolutely terrifying, the reactions some people have to this era and how desperate they are to tear down other people's enjoyment of it just because they don't like it. Yeah, we... Yeah, well, you've you've borne the brunt a little bit uh, on your own kind of blog, haven't you? Oh, that's some wonderful uh, comments. On the, on the whole. You used to be a reviewer of merit, and now, because you like Jodie Whittaker, I will never read your blog again, but I will comment on the next episode. Because <laughs> right. um, you, you, by and large, are generally... Quite, quite enjoy the Whittaker era, don't you? I'm a huge fan of the Jodie Whittaker era. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jodie Whittaker herself as the Doctor. Um, I think the era has problems. I won't say it doesn't, but I think the standard of entertainment and the approach that they're going for is my kind of Doctor Who. I, I, I prefer it to... Oh, God... I prefer it to a lot of the Stephen Moffat era. And the, what about the Russell T Davis era? No, no. How would you... that's, 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 that's my number one, Russell T Davis. But I feel like this is kind of heading back in that direction to a degree on a lot more sort of uh, linear storytelling, character focus, uh, rather than kind of sitcom humour, um, you know, fast-paced wit, um, smugness, clever, clever plots. It's this is this is just it, there are episodes of Chibnall stuff that I think is some of the best Doctor Who I've seen in quite some time. I I have um, admittedly I I think this is a bit of a mean question to throw straight off the bat. Um, but I, I am generally, as someone who quite enjoys the Chibnall era and its merits, and uh, someone who also quite enjoys the, the Russell C. Davis era as as a, a as a particularly, I'm curious to see what you might say because uh, I think for a lot of people who really like the the Chris Chibnall era, um, will point to how it's kind of return it's a return to um, the a kind of more subdued. Um, a bit more character-focused version of the show with um, uh, people with people who are very firmly grounded in the world that we come from, who tumble into the Doctor's adventures. And uh, is that your question, uh, or is that an observation? I beg your pardon. Is that your question, or is that just an observation? No, 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 no. Well, that's an observation, but I'm leading to a question. Oh, sorry. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a very much, it's very much more a stripped back version of the show. And I think a lot of people who quite like this iteration of the show will point to, it extols some of the virtues that we saw in the forefront of the show when it was under the stewardship of Russell D. Davis. Um, uh, and my question to you is, and again, I do acknowledge this is a bit of a mean question, but I am curious because, um, 
Would you say, how do you think the Chibnall era as a kind of, this kind of stripped back, more characterful version of the show, as it is described by some of the people who quite like it, stacks up when you compare it to sort of the, the similar merits that the Russell T Davis era bring to it? It doesn't really. Uh, uh, Russell T mm. Davis is like a master craftsman of television. Uh, and mm. I think his Doctor Who is pretty masterful. Um, Chris Chibnall is not a master craftsman of television. He is a, a, a very competent television writer and he's a very competent showrunner. I think that Rusty Davis wrote some of the absolute best episodes of his era. I do not think that Chris Chibnall has written the best episodes of his era. I think he's brought in some fantastic guest writers and in series 11 and in series 12, I think it's the, the guest writers that have done like the, the best work. So I think he's quite good at directing other people, but in creating mm-hmm. scripts of great worth, well, you've seen Arachnids in the UK, you've seen the Battle of Ramscore mm-hmm. Av Kolos. These are not, you know, outstanding pieces of television writing. Whereas, you know, I don't think, do I think Chibnall's got a midnight in him or a turn mm-hmm. left? Do I think Chibnall's got a, a listen or a heaven sent? No, and we'll never see that. We'll see very good episodes written by, I think, um, Resolution, Ascension of the Cybermen, uh, and Spyfall. That's kind of, that's that's his level, which is kind of like eight out of 10, nine-ish out of 10, very solid. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think he does get people. He does understand people. And I think that the characters that he's conceived uh, the companions and the doctor. I find the doctor infinitely more likable than uh, she he has been for quite some time. Um, and the companions. Uh, oh, sorry, I did like Bill. I did very much like Bill. But Amy, Clara, that template of companion, that that puzzle box companion to be solved, that kind of plot function companion. Oh, I'm glad that's out of the way. And it's just people hanging around with him and having fun. But fairly well-defined people, I would say. Um, I'm sure we're going to get into the character work of the woman that fails to work today. I just, I, I think he well, has, mean, he has his strength. I will also like, but Rusty Davis is an infinitely better writer, so it is an it, infinitely better era. I, uh, since I realised we actually hadn't told people what episode we were actually reviewing today the cat's out of the bag joe has just revealed we are in fact looking at jodie whittaker's debut episode the woman who fell to earth it took us 11 minutes to get here to tell you only if anybody's listening to this podcast they they know the routine by now they know the drill it's like they're not good we we've already read what episode they're reviewing in the title and then we have to put up with 11 minutes of them assuming the title Although, you know, I would say a little caveat to the question you just asked, had Russell T. Davis taken on Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor, like what I think is a good, this, what she would, it would be extraordinary material she's getting, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, that, I've never thought about that before, actually. 
I've, I've got um, a follow-up question from that. And I think it's, it's a, a nicer question since we've talked about, uh, since obviously I've talked about, uh, I, I kind of asked you, you know, how do these qualities from the Russell T. A. D. T. Davis era stack up when compared against Russell T. Davis? Um, and it's obviously not quite as well, but still quite admirable in its own right. Um, what do I, so I have another question for you, and it's a much friendlier one. What do, would you say are the qualities of, the positive qualities of the Chibnall era that are uniquely its own? that are uniquely its own strengths. Simple storytelling, and there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's hugely refreshing after Stephen Moffat's six, whatever it's been, six year tenure. Um, you know, some of the historicals, um, I feel that that whole genre has just been captured and it's compelling again, rather than something like Let's Kill Hitler, which was just a joke as a historical. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, casting a female doctor is a huge strength of the era. It's something completely different. And I think we go into every episode looking at her specifically what she's bringing, what's new, and comparing it against 50-odd years of men in that part. And that's just really interesting. It was just a really interesting decision, a very brave one, given the reaction. Because um, the BBC could have said no to that, but that was Chibnall that pushed that. He wanted a woman. Yeah, and I think uh, I remember there was an interview, not to kind of detour too much away from... Um, uh, 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 this particular topic, but I remember in an interview, I think someone was asking, a fan was asking Stephen Moffat about, you know, whether uh, the character, you know, Missy as a female incarnation of the master was kind of a test run for a female doctor. And Stephen Moffat very much said, it kind of was in some ways, but I cannot claim credit for you know the decision to cast a female doctor that is purely you know chris chibnall's initiative and he deserves every credit for making that casting choice and you might think um, uh that that uh she's not a popular doctor because those people that don't like her in the role are so loud and Mm. They, 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 they are literally waving their placards so, you know, violently. But actually, there are as many, probably far more people spreading love for Jodie Whittaker's doctor who absolutely love her. Yeah. It was because, you know, I was, um, I, you know, I was obviously in anticipation of this episode. I watched, you know, rewatched The Woman Who Fell to Earth. But I was also just kind of recreationally, I was just kind of watching clips of her of Jodie Whittaker uh, just kind of being an ambassador for the show. And she, oh, it, like, you know, you see videos of her, like, visiting schools and uh, uh, and she tackles that side of the show with such tremendous... Oh, we've got a little lag there. Uh, uh, positivity. Yeah. Oh, I'll, that's all right. I'll, no, no, in we, case we, that... We just had a, a tiny lag, don't worry. I, uh, I, I, what I was saying is that Jodie Whittaker tackles that aspect of the show because that's whole uh, that's a whole element of the show that's separate from the performance yeah. of the character, which is you know uh, 
uh, acknowledging the de the, your debt as an actor to the children who watch that show. And she tackles that side of the show with such enthusiasm. And you watch her, and it's so joyous. Do you remember that little girl that was introduced to her? Was it Children in Need who broke down? Oh, I just broke my heart. Yeah. And you know those people that hate her, hate her so much that they were like online posting comments saying, oh, that child's special needs. You know, she's got issues. I'm like, what is wrong with you people? I I remember someone, there was a photo of Jodie Whittaker, I think, but just being a bit silly on her birthday oh, on yeah. set. And she was in like, she was in just in like, you know, some silly pink, like fairy costume. I remember seeing a video on YouTube of someone gunning at Jodie Whittaker for wearing a, a silly costume on, on a silly show. I was just like, I mean, God, look actually, at what she did at the beginning of the pandemic where she filmed that scene in her closet to help all those kids that were struggling at home. That's, just, that's extraordinary. What a beautiful gesture that is. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like it, it, it should be said, like, any doctor, all of the doctors have been wonderful ambassadors for the show. You've seen like similar stories of Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi and David Tennant Definitely. going to hospitals. Um, similar, you know, you hear stories of, like Tom Baker going to like Ireland during the Troubles, John Pertwee, Patrick Trowell. Uh, and it, even though there is a lot of focus on like the quality of a performance of the, I think. Um, uh, another side of the show that is sometimes overlooked is the is the conduct of this actor mm. uh, in their responsibility as a, as a, as the custodian of the, uh, the you you hear I think a lot of the recent doctors describing their the part as being like a custodian of the part and the obligations to you know children and families that that entails and in that regard like you know all of the actors I think who have come before Jodie Whittaker have been like really wonderful people and it is so obvious if you just see her and the way she conducts herself that Jerry Whittaker is an absolutely wonderful person and, and it's just so the whole element as well that she just loves it she's always smiling like in all the behind the scenes stuff she's having a blast she's laughing at her she's loving playing this role and I think it spills onto the screen I, I find her compelling in the role and I, I do mm. think that she was learning how to play it throughout the first series. Although, um, kind of skipping ahead to this particular episode, I think she does hit it out of the park in the first episode. But then I think she's oh, kind I, of, I she's on a learning curve, like Tennant was, like definitely like Capaldi was. Um, Matt Smith yeah. actually got it. He's probably the one that got it right in his first season. Um, but then going into the second season, I feel like she's self-assured and she knows what she's doing at this point, you know? She's mm. rocking it. I think she's great. And, and you know what? In every single episode, when I'm writing my reviews for my blog, I write huge paragraphs about what she's doing because she's just a really interesting performer. She always draws my eye. She's happy to be part of an ensemble, which is unusual, um, but also, mm -hmm. you know, is really strong in her own individual moments. Mm -hmm. My one, my one thing I would say is I don't think she's always given um, like big powerhouse moments. Far more in season twelve than season eleven, and I think there is more to get from her because I've seen her in other roles, and she, you know she can take it up to twelve. 
And I think for Doctor Who, she's only taken it up to like eight in terms of like intensity and humour. And I think she's still got a lot more to give. I see, I found it interesting because in some ways I agree. But on the other hand, I, I think some of that has to do with the fact that she comes directly after Peter Capaldi. Because the thing you get with, I think, interesting in having those two actors back to back is that you have a doctor in Peter Capaldi who, um, uh, as much as I personally adore him, I don't think people necessarily took to him as like a comedic doctor as much, even though I quite love him as a funny doctor. In fact, when I was watching Last Christmas the other day and every time he smiled, I was like, yes, it it, it just looks a bit of silly when he smiles. I, I I completely disagree with that. But <laughs> um, uh, the one thing that Peter Capaldi had in huge abundance was these big, dramatic, gravitas-heavy moments. Like he had Heaven Sent, and then by comparison, having you know Jodie Whittaker come along, and the focus is stripping back that mythos and yeah. gravity quite a lot to get a much more lighter version of the Doctor that you want to travel with. So in some way. With sorry to interrupt, with Whitaker, the show isn't about the Doctor. And uh, well, in the second series, it was when she was first introduced. Like series eleven, the Doctor is just a traveler again. You remember I said to you in the Good Man Goes to War, I'm like, oh, because like, all this obsession, Doctor Who, and is the Doctor a good man, and all this, you know, it's just been done to death by now. And she was literally just someone off to have adventures. Unfortunately, we've gone back in that direction for Series 12, but hey-ho. I um, I feel like, just in case anybody uh, at this point is somehow unaware of our positions, um, I feel like I, we should, I should say that I'm pretty confident in saying this on behalf of both of us, that both of us have absolutely no problem whatsoever with uh, a woman as the Doctor. Oh, it's wonderful. Um, God, it's been yeah, long over to you. I, I would have liked this so, to have been sort of tenants' time. Yeah, so, you know, if you personally have some kind of reservation about having all this doctor, this is probably not going to be the podcast for you. Um, or maybe it is. Maybe uh, it's a nice alternative viewpoint. Maybe. How, however, I think our opinions on the Chibnall era differ quite strongly because, as we've established, Joe is uh, quite a is, – is a good is, – is, a fairly decent fan of it, whereas I have a lot of reservations about it personally, um, creatively well, the, speaking. Do you know what's interesting is I think every reservation that you've told me about, I kind of agree with, but probably to a lesser extent. I um, so I, I I wouldn't I would never go so far as to say I actively hate this era at all, but it it has generally speaking been an era that has left me with tremendous I think I think I described it as tremendous ambivalence mm. um, uh, it's not a show that it's a version of the show I should say that doesn't arrest me quite as much as it used to I, I like I still like it and I will always watch it and there's never been a time where I will not tune into it to an episode but I I am less Generally speaking, I feel less personally enthralled about talking about its successes and also, strangely enough, its failures. Do you feel like it's just very middle of the road? Middle of the road, who? Yeah. Yeah, which is in in its own way possibly quite damning. But, you know, I I, I do feel 
anytime I talk to Joe, it's it's almost like an odd pick me up where I'm kind of like, no, he's right. Those are those are some very good things the show is doing, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that's kind of right. Whereas I ho- hopefully I, I'm I not, think the difference like, with you and me like though is that you were a huge fan of Stephen Moffat's approach. Like, you know, that's mm. that's that's probably your Doctor Who there. And this is such a departure from that, that you're kind of going mm-hmm. from something that you were, you know, and you've got reservations with some of Moffat stuff, but, but you know, on the whole, you like that kind of intellectual, labyrinthine, um, you know, uh, witty, that, that sort of approach. And this is, this is just not that at all. This is, I mean, yeah. like the woman who fell to earth, there's yeah. parts of it that feel like, a normal drama like just a regular on-show drama with a few science fiction bits in it yeah and you know i think when jodie whittaker came along as I, you know i genuinely was quite excited by her casting um but it was all uh, for me personally i was all it was always going to be a bit of a tough act for her because my probably my personal favorite doctor i i say probably i i know it my f- f- favorite version of the doctor is the version of the Doctor followed, played by Peter Capaldi. So, you know, it's the same thing I think people... Which version? I'm going through that... Series 8, the Series 9, or the Series 10? Because they're completely God. different characters. They are completely oh. different characters. Nonsense. It's a coherent character from beginning to end, but that's yeah, a decisive yeah. point. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think I might have gone through that process that people who really love David Tennant with all their hearts and then went to Matt Smith, they must have experienced. Yeah, I've heard that uh, quite a lot lately, actually. That um that or Matt Smith to Peter Capaldi as well. I think a lot yeah. of people abandoned the show and Peter Capaldi came because they just love Matt Smith. Mm. But I it's it that that quality in and of itself is one of the 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 oldest traditions of the show in and of itself. Can but, I um, can I can I make a very small case for Jodie Whittaker before we talk about the episode? It's not going to be a small case at all, but you feel free. No, to. No, no, no. It's just it's just one point. Is that what we have in Jodie Whittaker in a time where people tend to be reactionary and angry and cynical, and there's just this outpouring of negative emotion. Go on social media right now. There's an outpouring of people being furious about everything. And we have this uncynical, happy, adventurous, lovely, humorous. She's just like a ray of sunshine in a really dark time. And I think this is the perfect time for her doctor to be here. Because, honest to God, when I watch her, I smile. If the rest of the world is bleak, I switch on Doctor Who and watch Jodie Whittaker and I smile watching her because she's just, she's lovely. And almost a bit like like Davison, you could probably say, and maybe a bit like Patrick Trowan. She's just a doctor I love to be around because she's not mm-hmm. a grumpy old man. Sorry, Peter Capaldi yeah. fans. I don't know. I just, I just think there is something to be said yeah. about just how warm she is and and how welcoming like she is to the show you watch series eight that's not a very welcoming to to people watching it 
He's basically saying, well, do you know what? I'm the doctor. I'll do what I like. I don't know if I'm a nice man and fuck you. That's basically what he's saying in Series 8. Yeah, admittedly, that is a version of the character you quite like as someone who... As I you, do. you're a, a fan. As a fan. you're someone who really loves Colin Baker. But I know loads of people that, who watched that first episode were like, I am watching this. This yeah. is not my book. Well, Whereas Jodie Whittaker, she was literally like a massive hug and, you know, come on an adventure with me. Let's have fun. What's wrong with that? I, yeah. Oh, we've lagged again. Hang on. Um, well, it's, I, I, I find it really interesting because you get two different kinds of the Doctor going from Capaldi to Whitaker because in uh, they have very different kinds of appeal. I think um, with Peter Capaldi, you feel the weight of the character uh, and the weight of his history and the weight of the universe on his shoulders. Um, uh, whether that's in the writing or not uh, is, but you get a sense of the gravitas of the character from him. But isn't that like just uh, putting quite, a quite sack a of bricks on the audience and just saying, right, carry that? This is like throwing that right. off and saying, right, let's go. Whereas I, you get a different thing with Whitaker, which is that it's it's an, it's it's two doors in the TARDIS and they're both wide open and it's come inside. Let's go. Do you know what's really uh, interesting? At the end of Deep so, Breath, it's like they're sitting... Is that is that where they sit in the console? And it's like, you know, am I a good man? I don't really know if I'm a, a good man or not. And, you know, did he chuck that person outside the, the balloon, uh, the clockwork man? And then at the end of The Woman That Fell to Earth, it's like, uh, wee, I'm going to go... I'm going to go and find my TARDIS and, uh, you know, they're all beamed into space and it just feels like we're going on this massive romp. Like the, the, they couldn't be tonally more different, could they, leading into, like, you know, a second episode. I'm done. Well, well yeah, very much so. Um, uh, uh, well... Well, that whole "am I a good man" thing doesn't actually happen in Deep Breath. Actually, oh, okay. um, that happens in um, that happens in Into the Dalek. Ah, um, okay. But uh, but there is but you're not you're not too far off the track because there is a moment where, and it's at the end of Deep Breath where Capaldi asks uh, lands Clara back in 21st century London, and she says like you can continue traveling if you want to, and there's that moment where she goes. I don't think I know who you are anymore, which is where she steps outside and gets on the phone with uh, the 11th doctor. And then after that conversation, chooses to go back with him. Mm. Um, but which is very, which is, which is very different from Jody from Jody's Whitaker. Uh, it feels weird. We're very, we're very much focusing on comparing the um, Whitaker era yeah. specifically with Indeed. the Capaldi era. Well, I mean, but one I, did follow the other. It's, you know, that comparison is understandable. Yeah. But, but maybe I, I feel like we'll give this discussion a lot more focus if we actually start Talk, talking, talking about, about the, episode. the episode itself. Indeed. Indeed. So, so let's so let's dive into The Woman Who Fell to Earth, which is a very punny title, I will say, since it's an obvious reference to The Man Who Fell to Earth by David Bowie. Yes, right. Um, yeah. And 
it's a uh, and usually when the show goes for these kind of putty titles i'm not so much a fan like as much as i love mummy on the orient express i'm a bit like ah oh, no but i quote the woman who fell to earth very good i have a vital question for you that i need answering uh-huh so the so, first scene opens with uh ryan doing a youtube video yeah or having you know, uh -huh. playing a youtube video and um one thing that really really needs answering still to this day i figured it would be the, the you know the arc throughout series 11 and 12. who is the secret pigeon there's a video on um, um, suggested videos and one of it says who is the secret pigeon and it's a man dressed up as a pigeon no i'm sorry i'm being I, ridiculous nonsense you know you, you we, we all remember that in love and monsters when the absorbaloff is holding up that newspaper to cover his face it says vote saxon or something on ah, the newspaper there you go it's going to be vital in series three do you know who it's going to be yeah. i'll tell you who it's going to turn out to be is is the brani no the salad man oh it's going to be him quite possibly the most beautiful comedic scene in the entirety of Portugal. <laughs> eat my salad halloween salad. Oh, who no, says that he can't do nuanced writing who says he can't write comedy <laughs> who like who cares if you like Oh, Stephen Moffat, man from a prolific sitcom, sitcom comedy background. Russell T. Davis, master of comedy. Get in the bin right now. Salad man throwing food at <laughs> alien. This is comedy. It does make me laugh, though. It does. Frankly, the most ridiculous shot in this entire episode is this weird shot which is after the salad man has been killed and you get this <laughs> shot of of Tim Shaw just very vindictively stepping on his kebab. <laughs> he must be truly evil, Tim Shaw. Yeah. God, that someone is in the audience going, that monster, yeah. he stepped on his unfinished Not a kebab. Oh, I love it. Yeah. I love it. He must have, it was very, what a, he was just there was a lot of salad and fruit and vegetables in that kebab i must say he was wow. throwing all that out all that healthy goodness he didn't look maybe like that's it. why tim Shaw killed him a hell freak did he but there we go yeah i know okay there so is tim one Shaw, thing tim i Shaw, notorious health freak. definitely want to you talk must about go diet. sorry in this episode and I think this is a direct, uh, not necessarily criticism, but it's addressing something in the Stephen Moffat era. So weirdly, we're talking about that again. Um, but that is the nature of death and how death hurts. And I feel like mm. Chibnall does that better in this episode that Moffat managed to throughout his entire era because death became a bit of a joke in the Stephen Moffat era. It was like, oh, you're dead. Oh, no, you're not. And there's some, there's this weird kind of, I don't know, like, a, a, it's almost like a, a fictional, it's a nice idea, all these different ways of cheating death. And, you know, Clara's not dead. She's actually flying around in that cafe. And Rory's not dead. And Amy, you know, hasn't been killed. Oh, you know, but, it's not real, is it? Let's be honest. Like, you know, death happens, people die, 
and you have to move on. It kind of happened in the Rusty Davis era. I don't feel it happened very effectively in Stephen Moffat's era. And I think the death of Grace, despite how signposted it was, and I was very aware of how signposted it was um, Uh on this rewatch, it's like, oh, wow, people can die again. This is a show where, Uh you know, serious things can happen to people and it has an impact. I really like that. And I think that's a step in the right direction again. I feel somewhat grim to open up the case for this episode on people die in it. Well, um, but I think I think in what is quite a light episode, it is doing something. It's not revolutionary to say people die and you know and people have an emotional reaction to it. But the show hasn't really done that for a while. I I mean it. Uh, I think. I agree with the brush strokes of your point. Okay. Um, which is, I don't think it is in any way a conscious refutation of the previous six years. I do not think Chris Chibnall would in any way think that a healthy way to start an entire new era of the show is to have some kind of sub- some kind of critique of what came before inherent in episode one. I don't think that's a, 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 to do that intentionally, I don't think is the way you open a new version of the show, particularly for the people who have been enjoying it for the last few years. Um, However, I I do agree that uh, it is is packaged in this particular vision of the show, which is, because this, I'm going to say quite up front, I really do quite like, um, uh, the woman who fell to earth. Yeah. I really quite like that this episode, and it it lays out um, uh, the the strengths of the general era quite well off the bat. And a chief amongst those is um, it's and it, how grounded it is in the world that, in which Very we come much. from, in which we live, and and the world of Sheffield. This, this isn't like think... comic book Who, is it? This is like the Doctor falling into like a normal drama. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Which is which is entirely apt. But um, if the world, uh, I don't think Chris Chibnall sat down and decided to himself right, we need to include more death no. in the series again. I think I think what happened was is that he decided he wanted a version of the show that felt like it, like the world of Doctor Who can bleed into our own world. And the way to convey that is to present our world as normally as possible, to make that transition between the Doctor's world and... Uh, the world that Yaz, Ryan, and Graham come from as seamless as possible. And part of that, part of that transition is going, well, if these are normal people that we are trying to show, then the adventures the Doctor goes on have to have these big, you know, there are consequences and there is death. Um, I think it kind of raises so the suspense like, again because suddenly we're, we're in this kind of universe where you can die you know, and that's it. Because <laughs> they do kind of present yeah. Grace as a character and that will be a regular, don't they? Like, she's part of that ensemble. Mm. And in some way she is, since she is, even though she dies in the story, she is very present throughout the rest of the series. Oh, like, one of the best moments of a racket. 
Arachnids of the UK is when Graham returns and you see her silhouette in the background faded out. And, you know, um, uh, uh, what's it? I'm trying to remember the episode. I really like it. Um, it takes you away. Uh, it takes you away. That's right. It, ta- it, ta- it takes you away. Obviously, features Grace again, and it's that episode is all about Graham having to move on and let go his let go of his grief. Um, so even though she dies in this story, um, uh, she her her presence is felt throughout it, which is something I don't think you necessarily get either in Stephen Moffat's version of the show and not even necessarily Russell T. Davis's version of the show quite as much. I think um, I think that character like, thread of, of how the two guys, Ryan and Graham, deal with the grief, I think that's one of the strongest elements of Series 11. And I think it's done very well and it's brought to a very effective resolution and, in the last three episodes. Yeah, and... It is tricky because it is one of these things that Series 11 actually does quite well. And in some ways it ends up being a little bit of a mixed bag because by the by the time you get to the end of Episode 1, you're kind of like it, the optics of, you know, Episode 1 of this new version of the show which stars a female Doctor and by every definition is has been quite intention, intentional in the inclus, inclus, uh, inclusiveness of its casting. Um, uh, it's almost uh, it, the optics of, you know, killing uh, this really wonderful person of colour character straight off the bat. Well, is, this is uh, something I wanted to ask you about, and this was my slightly controversial question. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm really glad you brought this up, actually. Because, okay, I have... Oh, uh, so okay. So you don't have to find some kind of awkward segue into this question now. No, I'm just going to ask it outright. Because of how um, people of colour have been treated, even in Doctor Who in the past, generally speaking, in in the '60s or the '70s, they're killed off. You know, if they if they are included at all. But we're in a kind of an era now where there are. There's a lot more representation, thank goodness. But I have a problem with people complaining about that, about the fact that a person of colour can die in a drama. Like, should that not happen then? Should all people of colour in all dramas just all be represented in a in a hugely unflawed positive way and survive like surely if you want a fair representation then you know we have two companions of color here and one of the characters who is a person of color dies mm-hmm. that does happen in real life but yeah. there was this like I've 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 heard other podcasts of, of, of people really t- declaring, you know, how dare you kill a person of colour? You know, we're going back to how things used to be. Blah blah blah. blah. No, she's just she's she is a person of colour, but she's just a really well drawn character, and she dies at the end of the story. And you know, basically, what I'm asking you is, should people of colour be allowed to be killed in dramas? I. Well, that's a very, very big question. And in some ways, 
I feel like as two white men, that's a it's it's, it's de tricky to declare such authority on that topic. Um, but um, for, for, in if you for you asking me this question, what I would say is that you know I don't think anyone is necessarily who who is who finds the trend of people of color dying upsetting i don't think they're necessarily advocating for people to say that we should do the opposite that people of color characters must be you know enshrined and they cannot die at all i i don't think any i don't necessarily think people believe that as a storytelling avenue i, I think in the in the instance of grace in particular but what they, what they, it, 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 it's it's the way in which the character is set up, and the the version of the character that we see, where we kind of see we're presented with a character who we're led to believe will could be companion material, and or if not if not that she could be a recurring regular throughout the show, and and, and this is Doctor I, Who, she so, still is. Yeah, well, in in some ways, but in a very diminished capacity. Yeah. So I don't think the issue people have is necessarily with the, the, purely with the act of a person of color dying. I think it has a. I mean, maybe it does, and maybe no, I, that, that's that's the direct criticism that I was listening to was that that this was unacceptable. And I just I, find that very because I, you know, of all the eras, I I think the Chibnall era is the uh, era you could least criticize for underrepresentation. Well, oh, absolutely, and I think it, um, uh, with the because you know, it, <laughs> nobody, I don't think anybody is complaining in the woman who fell to earth that the salad man died. No, no one's exactly. No one, but it, it, it all about the old granddad. Where are all the where are all the it, people it, it, like pro old men? That old granddad who works at the building yard who dies. But I think it has entirely has everything to do with the fact that the way that Grace is set up as a character and the way she is subsequently killed off is is where the problem lies. So you think the criticism should be the potential of the character hasn't been fully realised and she should have had more time. I suppose in a way what I would say is is that the character is set up in the in a particular way uh, to imply to be either you can see her as a companion or as a recurring character that we will turn to throughout the series and then she is very abruptly killed and the way she in which she has died the way in which she dies and the way in which she's killed unfortunately falls into uh, the, the way it looks as a character arc it looks un unfortunately it looks a bit like the way people of color characters have been treated in the so past I, I don't get that um, i don't get that at all and i feel like because for one thing it has that very oh my word somebody who's really lovely is dead so you you're like oh that's heartbreaking and it is it's, it's a really affecting moment especially bradley walsh when he goes over to her just before she dies um i think um the funeral is beautifully done and that really does emphasize in this era that you know we won't just be skipping away from the emotional consequences of what the characters are going through 
And then it's played out throughout the season. So it's also embedded in the season and in character. I just think it's really effective. I'm not saying people of colour should die, but I'm just saying that this example is it's a really well-realised uh, death of somebody who could have been a companion, but wasn't. I just, I just think it, I, I think the climax I, without I mean, it... I feel like a lot would be gutted. Like, the climax about it would be a bit forgettable. I... I I think a lot of the possible problems with this particular... with her, with Grace's death are, to some extent, cushioned by the fact that elsewhere the Whitaker era is so... is very conscious about the... Inclu- uh, about being inclusive in its casting. Um, and its production. Uh, and it's very... The most amount of women yeah, might for the show, you know. Yeah, and uh, so by consequence, uh, in some way, it 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 seeing this done in this era seems it see it it appears less problematic than in a you know a bit more of a, a, a white era of the show. But if there were, if, if Grace it, had been white. Would that be less of a problem? Uh, uh, probably. And I, I, and I don't I, think that that's that's but fair. But, but maybe I don't know if that has something to if that in it in its own way it has something to say about you know people of color actors getting really good parts that ultimately end up getting killed off. I mean, the it had, had the rest of, of the era drama. followed this pattern, then absolutely I'd be saying this is appalling. But I just think this is particularly well written here, um, and the the consequences and, and, of it are very well yeah. explored. And that's that's one of the things uh, is that although I think it is unfortunate that the Whitaker era, which is a very inclusive era, of the show comes out with not something. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call Grace's death for me personally. I wouldn't call it like a deal breaker for the show. Like okay. it's like the, the show has completely handed in its credentials. Um, uh, but but I, and for me, it was the so other way. I, that was almost like, like, like that sold me. Not not because Grace had died, but because of how that was handled and how the consequences of that. I just thought, wow, this is an approach I can really get on board with. These things have an impact. And we're going to deal with them. That kind of isn't where we've been. Yeah, and and the story and the, that story that happens throughout, I think, is quite deftly handled. Um, and it's and the the writing around the way Graham and and Ryan uh, go about dealing with Grace's death is quite sensitively written. Mm. Um, I think I think for some people, uh, it. Because the emphasis of this grieving is for is a process that we see Graham Graham in particular go through. I mean, obviously, we see Ryan going through it as well in series eleven. But it is very it is the linchpin of I think Graham's arc. Ryan's is very much about uh, you know coming coming to terms with himself and coming to terms with Graham as his as his only real family and his dad as well all those issues with his dad yeah and 
and and his dad by the time we get to resolution. Whereas Graham's is him kind of, I think, kind of learning to live life again and also coming to terms with his own grief. Um, and I, uh, him grieving over the fact that, um, you know, his wife, his wife has died. And, I, and although it's quite well written and realized, in my opinion, I think for some people, it does, it can look like that. Grace, as a woman of color, died in service of uh, a white man's, uh, she became fodder for a white man feeling sad. What's, what's interesting is it's all like, it's, she's uh, got complete autonomy here. The doctor says, I want you both to get out of here and not come back. And she refuses. Yeah. And Graham says, I don't want you and, to do this. And she goes and does it, you know, like she's. And, and, and that is, that is one of the things about Grace that is very nice is that she, she's a character who, you know, she, she is written that, you know, she's, com she's completely decisive over her own choices. She takes risks, but those are her choices. Do you know and, what's interesting? Uh, this is a really good criticism of pe people being made to be dangerous after exposure to the doctor without explicitly ramming it down your throat, like in the previous episode that we discussed, like, you know, she's <laughs> loving this. She's loving the adventure of it and the danger. And she throws herself into a dangerous situation and she dies. And that just shows you, um, you know, how dangerous people can be to themselves within the doctor's life. I think it's really effective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I and she's just yeah. great. The actress is fantastic. I I I, I fell for her straight away. Oh, absolutely! And incidentally, I should also say she's a fantastic singer. Oh, I saw uh, recently. A, I saw a a version of At Last that she sang. Yeah, and it's a and she's a yeah beautiful beautiful singer. Um, well now. now that we addressed, I guess, one of the elephants in the room. <laughs> Maybe we should talk about the rest of the episode. Okay, so we've talked about like five minutes of it. Okay, go on. You hit me with something. What are your observations? Oh no, we're uh, lagging what, again. A, que a question. We are <laughs> lagging again. We've got terrible weather today, so oh, we yeah, seem to be. No, no, you've caught up again. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. I um, well, I don't know. I, I haven't got any questions, but I can talk about because I do. I do quite like the woman who fell to earth, and rewatching it was really interesting because um, uh, it. I think I mean the woman who fell to earth isn't necessarily an episode. It's not. I wouldn't call necessarily call it a groundbreaking episode. I it hasn't got. It's not conceptually, it's not a huge episode, but that, that plays entirely to its own strengths. It's very, it, it gives it, it has a very relaxed pace and it kind of finds this sweet spot in its introduction with the doctor, which I thought was really interesting, uh, which is because you, you kind of get two approaches with how to introduce the doctor and the epitomes of either of those approaches are, uh, the Christmas Invasion, where you don't get the Doctor until the very, very, very end of the story. And he kind of swans in and you're so excited to see him after an episode, nearly a whole episode of anticipation. Or you get 
the 11th hour where you're with the doctor on every step of the journey and he's kind of assembling him, himself. Oh, I see what you mean. Process. This is like the midway between those two. Yeah, so you spend the uh, the first leg of the episode desperately in anticipation of how the Doctor's going to enter the story. Oh, I love um, how she enters the story. Yeah, smashes. By by any logic, she probably shouldn't. Well, maybe she but shouldn't. I say that all the time. Oh, yeah, that person just fell into the story. And she literally falls into the story at story. a crucial moment. Yeah. I um. I don't know. Um, yeah, and so you do. She's the doctor is not present for the right amount of the story, and what it does in the first in that first leg of the story is is it sets up the characters incredibly well. Really like well. Like uh, I and I, I think um, the the characters who become the companions are aggressively well defined in the story it, and they're like their relationships to each other's mm -hmm. their, their, their their desires that are laid out very strongly uh that they're kind of their troubles are laid out very strongly uh and it's almost in some ways it's it's almost like their characterization is so strong in this first episode that it taps it's why i think people have some issue they, with their characterization later on yeah uh because that, that's a, i think never, that's a fair comment yeah, because it, it doesn't really shift on from here does it it's like they're introduced here yeah and that's who they are from now on yeah and so stuff like you know i don't know graham's cancer and remission is never addressed ryan's dyspraxia um uh is it dyspraxia is that yeah. how you is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. uh dyspraxia is is mentioned from time to time yeah but but he still does a lot of things selective. that somebody with dyspraxia probably shouldn't have the confidence yeah to. it's 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 very it's very selective in when it comes back yeah. uh, the cancer is mentioned in with, series 12. it is it's mentioned oh it's boy mentioned. is it mentioned that's a hell of a scene and that's worthy of um, discussion all on its own um, you know, I think in a lot of series 11, like there is that recurring question of, wait, Yaz is a trained police officer. Where <laughs> is her training? And in all these situations <laughs> where she could just flash her badge, why doesn't she? Yeah, and but that, that is a problem with the episode it, more broadly. But in the, in the context of this episode, these characters yeah, are so well done. Well done. things that is really really nice about the doctors they're not even called companions anymore they could they're her friends well, her family uh, isn't it they call, uh, she one calls of the them their family yeah uh one of the things that i really liked about these companions in this story is that they all have very different approaches to tackling the problem um the, <laughs> the various problems that they face like like you know it's when they they decide they're going to investigate um you know uh grace says i'm going to contact the nurses on whatsapp uh, uh graham says i'm going to get in touch with um uh the old bus drivers mm -hmm. uh yeah says i'm gonna press my police contacts 
I can't remember what Ryan said, but I think it must have been like, I'm going to go to the warehouse, contact my warehouse friend. So, oh, wait, no, he said, um, he said, uh, I'm going to check on social media yeah. for like weird things. So they all have, they bring different skill sets to the problem. It uh, annoyingly kind of uses them as an ensemble really well and sets sets the bar quite high, which like over the two series, they probably only hit again about three or four times as an ensemble or doing yeah. something useful. Which is which is why I suppose this it makes this feel like a, a bit of a like a, the Doctor falling into a, another BBC drama, probably written by Chris Chibnall. Yeah. Um, because um, uh, everybody here like knows this city, they know Sheffield, and they know ways of getting information and engaging with the problem. And it's one of the things about uh, this uh, this uh, this episode in particular. It does a fantastic job of stripping the show back and grounding it back on Earth. Uh, it's moodier. It's more serious. Uh, which is quite, it's a real palate cleanser after mm -hmm. the high concept kind of fan-pleasing uh, years of the Moffat era, and particularly the Moffat Capaldi years. It's bare bones Doctor Who at its best. It's so weird, isn't it? It's like you, we've had all of these mad, cr like crazy comic book imagery in Moffat's time, like really mm. in-your-face, striking, memorable imagery. And then this is coming back down to something completely mundane. It is. Mm. I don't think there is like a tonal shift as jarring as this. Maybe there's a few. Maybe there's a few, but I don't think there's many from one doctor to another, from one showrunner to another. I just think it is an utter departure from where we've been. And uh, and what makes this this particular introduction to this version of the show is that it's it's all about it. Really, it really believes in delayed gratification. Um, it builds like the episode is about the doctor doesn't even call herself the doctor no, until the end of Peter the story. Peter Davison joke of oh I'm looking for a doctor, you know. Yeah, um, but like it, it it it's an episode which it is although it, it knows the bits of the show that people want to see, it knows what the audience wants wants to see and it's a bit like. No, 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 we're not going to give that to you yet. So it doesn't give you the theme tune. It doesn't give you the no. intro. It doesn't give you the new console room. It doesn't give you the TARDIS. But it does um, give you the hero moment on the crane, which I really like. It builds yeah. to that point. I think we needed at least that from her. Yeah. But saying which, that sort of um, along the way, uh, I mean, I made some notes about Jodie Whittaker and this story. Um, you know, I put she's smart, she's commanding, she's silly, she's quirky. She asks all the right questions as soon as she arrives. Um, she makes great observations. She makes friends really easily. Um, she's verbose. She At some point, she has a complete misunderstanding of social cues, which continues throughout the era, and I really like. Um, she's apologetic about what they're having to face, like death and things like that, which you know, Capaldi never was. Um, I love how she like bursts the bubble of Tim Shaw, who's this ridiculously serious villain, and she's just taking the piss out of him immediately, no matter how imposing that he looks. Um, she improvises. I just think she's terribly well characterized here throughout, and it kind oh, of no, all leads up to that bit on the crane where she says, "You know, I'm the Doctor," but I'm like, actually, do you know what? You've already been the Doctor throughout this. 
Well, see, this is this is one of the one of the great strengths of this episode is because uh, the character the Doctor's characterization is is fantastic in this episode, and Whitaker grabs this material and just runs with it. And it was watching this episode in particular that um, I became I, this before her very first episode. If really her performance in it flies completely in the face of the stereotype of her performance, which is that she's kind of this bumbling, light-hearted, silly, scatterbrained um, uh, version of the Doctor who's constantly misjudging social cues and stumbling over her words, and she's kind of constantly breathy and scattershot. Whereas here, the Doctor is so focused and yeah, so commanding. She's really commanding, um, is it? Do you think the, the waistcoat helps? I really like what she's wearing in this episode. Oh, she, she, let's be completely clear. She completely rocks Capaldi's costume. Yeah. <laughs> she looks great in the tattered remains I mean, of his I, coat. I do like her costume, her normal costume. Uh, or at least I got used to it. But I don't know. I just think she looks really great in men's clothes. Yeah, or maybe, I think for me it's just the black that kind of, and like, and just like you see that shot where she's jumping from the crane, and like the tattered remains of Capaldi's red lining is like billowing in the wind, and you're like, oh, that is cool, that is really cool. And she did, she even and gets the moment, doesn't she, where she gives the villain a chance? That's something that reoccurs throughout her era, where she's like, you know, I'm giving yeah. you a chance to, you know. But also, even though we see we her the stereotype of her of her doctor is that she's like very kind and compassionate, she's also quite rude to people here. She's quite rude to Yaz as soon as she gets on the train, and that's one of the things that she is just so like switched on. Like yeah. she falls through a train, and she's she's so proactively involved in the story. She just is immediately in charge and just runs with it. And, well, everyone's and, running away from the danger. Like she's just the running at it all the time. All the time there's danger in this episode. She's just diving straight towards it. Yeah, and the moment, actually, this is a sidetrack from the point I want to make, but the moment you know that these are her, are her companions is the moment where Tim Shaw kind of disappears in the smoke and she ch charges after him. Oh, yeah. Um, and all Graham is brilliant. run after her. Graham's like, why are we all, why are we running at the monster? I love him. I, uh, uh, but like by the time you get to the point where she declares, I am the doctor, that moment is entirely earned. She yeah. has earned that moment at every step. She has been, she has done like, she has like you know she's forged a new sonic we see like with the whole sonic screwdriver stuff we see this kind of resourceful <gasps> inventor can um, i just say we see... that scene that scene is iconic i love that's probably my favorite scene in the whole episode that and and that was yeah, i think that was released early wasn't it i can't remember now I, I i just remember having like a clip of that scene and i just love it after all that madness and her doing like the nutty professor inventing the sonic screwdriver coming out and going Della, yeah. oh she'll be fine yeah. <laughs> yeah and she has and she has those goggles on which look amazing i'm like damn that's the doctor that is the doctor yeah, and she's really rude to the villain. And she, when she's on the crane with opposite Tim Shaw, she's like, 
relentlessly outsmarting him in like the way she negotiates. So by the time she says, I am the doctor, we have seen her do all of the most yeah. doctorly things she could possibly do in this time period. Yes. And so when she says, I am the doctor, she has earned that moment. She has a fantastic stunt as well, doesn't she? I love it when she leaps from uh, one crane to another. I mean, I'm someone who gets terrible yeah. vertigo. So for me, that whole sequence up high is like, <laughs> oh, God. I and there is um uh there 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 are some I did write down uh, a lot of lines that she actually says okay. that I really liked in this episode um uh because I think they just get to the core Chimnal in the story he does a really good job in the dialogue of getting to the core of the Doctor as a character and describing the doctor and what makes them tick. So like, you know, um, uh, she went, it's like, and they're very simple. It's like when she says, when people need help, I never refuse. It's so simple, but it really gets to the core of what the doctor's about. It's, it's very stripped back of the meta conceptual engagement of the character that you get with, uh, in Stephen Moffat's era. So to make a, an obvious comparison, uh, The Witch is Familiar, in which Peter Capaldi has this lovely monologue about how he's not the Doctor. Uh, um, he's an old um, oh, Time yeah. Lord who ran away, who is seeking to live up to the title of the Doctor, which is a very meta, mad, which is a lovely box. monologue, but mm. it's very meta. Yeah. Yeah, well, no, I suppose a more direct here, parallel with that is like there's a scene where isn't it Amy says, "Oh, you never walk away from a, a child that's crying" or something like that in the beast below. Or, no, Clara, Clara says that. Oh no, that's in. Is that the girl who died? Uh, face the raven, I think. Oh, okay. There's, there's that bit in the girl who died as well, though, isn't it? Where she's like, "Oh, yeah, you decided to stay white. The baby stopped crying." It's the oh, same yeah, sort of true. thing, though, isn't it? Like, I won't walk away from people in distress yeah and it's 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 wonderful this line where she's like where she says something like when people need help i i never refuse it's wonderful because it is not a grand statement about yeah. who the doctor is it's a simple admission and it's 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 it, it's shorn of all the the grandstanding that you sometimes get when the doctor declares that they are the doctor well it's that not only is that a little bit underplayed and i love the way she starts it off with oh mate Oh mate, I'm the doctor. Yeah. But then then she straight away yeah. the bubble is burst where she's like, Oh no, it's not in my pockets. Or something. The whole moment is literally just like cut through. Whereas if that was David Tennant, there would be fireworks going, kissing, you know, mad you know, like madly over the top. Yeah. Peter Capaldi would have like a seven minute monologue. <laughs> but uh, that's just not really her, is it? She doesn't really have those. I'm the doctor uh, moments. I mean, but she does get some really lovely monologues. It's like, it's, they're very underrated. Like, uh, there's one here, which I think is really beautifully written, which gets at the core of what it must be like to regenerate. Where she oh, says, I think I know. right now, I'm, yeah, yeah right now, I'm a stranger to myself. There are echoes of who I was and a sort of call of who I of who I was, and I have to hold my nerve and trust all these new instincts, mm -hmm. shape myself towards them, and then she's like, "I'll be fine in the end." Yeah, and it she bursts it again, you know, punches the um, 
the over the toppiness of it. Yeah, sorry, it's 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 very straightforward and to the point in the way it's written, and but in and sure you could say it is it does remove a lot of the poetry of the show that you get with Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat, but it gets to the core of the character very efficiently. Do you think it and was a worthwhile approach, though, that... Um... Oh, no, sorry, I just not going on a tangent, but uh, taking out some of the complexity and telling some linear storytelling. Do you think that was a, that was a, a deliberate approach? Um... Maybe. I I think... Because I missed when... it. I think some of the Rusty David stuff is very linear. There is there is some complexity there, but the, the Stephen Moffat stuff got very, very complicated and a bit alienating because of it. And I think for a fresh audience to tell a story from, you know, A to Z, uh, rather than hopping about all over the place, it, that, that was kind of worthwhile, worth doing. Because the audience, okay, it dropped away, but they did stay certainly for like the first half of the season. I I think it was, re- I think it's reward that that series eleven is re- very much rewarding for new viewers of the show, and it caters to a a new audience. Um, uh, you know, I was actually watching like some clip, and is it Mark Strevens? Is that his name? the producer of the show. Um, I probably mispronounced his name, but uh, one of the people on the crew described series 12 as series two, uh, um, which is like, you know, so the, the, the version of the show they're building in that to them is like, this is the only version of Doctor Who that's ever been. Oh, yeah. uh, until, of course, you get to the Timeless Children where you have to acknowledge that this show has existed somehow yes, beforehand. Indeed. Like It's not like the Mor- Morbius Doctors suddenly were invented in 2019, 2020. But, um, As a complete it, side note, we have decided in the future, we're not sure when, uh, Jack is uh, a big fan of Hellbent, and I am a fair fan of The Timeless Children, two entirely controversial episodes. Um, and we are going to have a very interesting conversation about these two game changers. Sorry, please go 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 back. What were you saying? I well, I well, I'm sure everybody's like, wait, what? What? How could you just drop that on us so casually? I just um, I just think that's a worthwhile discussion to have because of what those episodes uh, are doing. And it has nothing to do with the Whitaker era at all. No, well, the timeless um, children does. Yeah. Well, at least the beginning of the Whitaker era, which is the most stripped-back version of the show you could get. It is a, probably got since Rose. Astonishing probably. how we got from the woman who fell to earth to the timeless children. They're two very different shows, aren't they? Like they feel worlds apart. A little bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, so even though this episode is quite low stakes, there's nothing. None of its ideas are particularly revolutionary no. or in particularly inventive. But it, there is a, an incredible efficiency of storytelling here. I, um, there's an energy, and there's a uh, I don't know. I, I it's a lovely episode to watch. I feel like um, it's judged very well. Whether that's the direction, the music, the acting, it's a very easy oh. episode to watch. 
Oh, yeah. And one of the things I wrote in my notes as I was watching it was that it it succeeds where it counts. And where it succeeds, it exceeds 100%. I mean, so, it, you it, know. It, essentially, the, the goal of this is to bring that ensemble together as a believable unit that can work together and then push them off into the next adventure. And it succeeds admirably at doing that. Oh, yeah, and very much so. And sure, um, even though like Tim Shaw is is not a as a, as, a, as a concept as a villain is not particularly interesting, uh, and I like the teeth. Almost, I like the teeth. But see, oh, oh, hang on. But almost certainly, Tim Shaw should not have been brought back as That's a villain. That's the problem, the though. Had he only appeared in this story, I think he would be better received. Like, as a one-shot video. Whereas everybody got to the end of the series. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, this guy, this guy is the arc of bad guy. Yeah. Um, that that, that uh, was a very, Tim very Shaw. poor bit of judgment uh, on Chibnall's part. Um, but, like, but even here, even though the concept of, like, you know, he's an alien hunter and he cheats is not terrifically interesting. The execution is great. The design of Tim yeah. Shaw is striking. The performance is He's good. shot very menacingly. He steps on kebabs. He's a bad man. <laughs> um, he uh, kills Salad also, Man. Yeah, he killed he killed the Salad Man. But he also like but the design of him is like you see the teeth yeah. pressed into his face. It's a really like, grisly idea. Yeah. And like I like the way yeah. they describe that he's broken someone's jaw to like remove their teeth. It's it's yeah. kind of nasty. Yeah. So it even in the bits of the the episode where it is not particularly inspired ideas wise it's very efficient and effective in the way it actually there's huge oh, confidence yeah absolutely and i think um, the, the the new way of filming the location work it looks stunning this episode yeah however i did have tremendous uh, do you know how joyful i found it when you get all like they they, uh, they came they brought in these new cameras for series 11 these mm. very very high-tech cameras um and it was like it, the show looks amazing and do you know how much i loved it where after all these very arty well lit shots of like graham and ryan and grace uh looking out in sheffield and you get this and you get the bit where he's in the, in this lush woodlands and you see this giant blue teardrop this blue rubbery teardrop and you're just like there it is there's my yeah. rubbish doctor it's who right still there. doctor who yeah absolutely oh actually do you know what you did just uh, mention ryan who we haven't actually mentioned very much and i hate to mm. objectify anybody but my god if that isn't the most beautiful person in the entirety of doctor who i don't know wow he's gorgeous i'm sorry i realize he's a character yeah. and he's a person but who cares? He's very nice yeah. to look at. And that increased my enjoyment yeah. of this episode yeah. a lot. Yeah, I think I think when you started watching the episode, you're just like five minutes in, I'm already swooning, and I'm just oh like, oh, I'm sure God. Bradley Walsh will be flattered. Every time he smiles, man, I my tummy just tickles. Yeah, well, he doesn't smile that often. No, so. I know. <laughs> That's very true. Very true. 
Except, except in the moment where he's like, get in, I've played Call of Duty or something. Oh, no, I love it. Any moment. Okay. I don't think Ryan is the most compelling character in the world. I think he's had some good moments. But any moment where he tries to be hard and then they punch his bubble like that and then he runs away screaming, I love it. It's really, truly kind of mocking that terrible um, masculinity. There's a moment in Ascension, is it Ascension I'm not Timeless Children, where he takes out a load of Cybermen and he's like, yeah, yeah, Ryan Sinclair. And then there's like a whole army of Cybermen literally behind him. Oh, and he great. legs it. And he legs it, yeah. I, but that actually gets into something, which is that the ensemble cast consists of, of this version of the show, consists of incredibly terrific actors. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I don't know if they've always been used, uh, utilised well. But whatever they are given to do, they do extremely well. Yes. Yeah, because, uh, like, you know, with someone like, you know, Bradley Walsh, there was some initial scepticism about whether he could, you know, like this, like, game show host could, like, be a companion. And as it turns out, it's the same thing you got, you got with, like, Catherine Tate, where he's an absolute knockout. Um, it's weird, isn't it? But, he's almost like the breakout star of this era, isn't he? A little, a little bit, yeah. But also, I'd like to focus because everybody talks about Graham, and he's a really fun character. But um, uh, like you know, uh, is it? I'm trying to. Is it Ton Tonson Tonson Cole? Tozin, I think. Tonson Cole and Mandib Gill. They're both brilliant, fantastic actor. And whenever they're given the opportunity, like Tozin Cole in Resolution. Uh, that moment where he sits in the cafe um, with his dad or Mandip uh, Gill in Can You Hear Me? When it's like the flashbacks to her quite dark past. They are excellent. They're just shuffled yeah. into a pack and more I, often than not. Yeah, and it's, and you know, I feel like those two actors in particular have come in for some truly nasty criticism and they've copped a lot of very unfair flack from people from in certain nasty corners of the fandom. Well, I feel like they um, must be protected from it because it doesn't seem to affect them at all. They're always very jolly in the, uh, you know, the, the publicity yeah. for the show. Yeah, but from here, they're both like really, I mean, admittedly, I do not believe at all that Tozen Cole is actually 19. I've never no. believed that for a single second. Or like, is he 19? Yeah, he's like 19, oh, isn't he? I don't know if it's even stated, but he's supposed to be young. Yeah, yeah he's like, he's like still, more or less, the character is supposed to be a kid, more or less. Roughly the same age as Rose. They're all likeable, um, aren't they? They're all instantly likeable. The three of them. Yeah, and at the absolutely. end, when they do all, all zap into space, which is a fantastic cliffhanger, by the way. Um, Beautiful shot, yeah. You're really, like, I, you, I, don't, I love, okay. The last 10 minutes, before I get there, the last 10 minutes, I think, are, it's some of the best material of the entire era. The funeral, which I think is beautifully written and beautifully acted. The scene where the Doctor chooses her clothes, I think that's great. It's kind of, it is totally all over the place, but very confidently done. Uh, the scene where yeah. she talks about her family, that's gorgeous. And then that last scene in the warehouse, which is just full of optimism. Like, that's the note you want to leave your first episode on. 
Yeah, and it's one of the it's one of the, the I think the most well judged bits of the episode because even because the alien plot is beside the point yeah. and it's fairly thinly sketched but, but the fact that they choose to in some ways lose the battle there a little bit gives they allows them to wrap the plot up like five five minutes early six minutes ten uh, so it gives uh, it's nearly 10 minutes it's a 10 minute coda and that's unheard of usually. yeah and you get these lovely shots you know you get it's like like you know you see uh, I mean, admittedly, I was like, it is kind of weird that you've got this framing device of Ryan uploading videos on YouTube. Slightly strange, but, you know, oh. the, the, the idea Have you been on YouTube is, lately? They're stranger than that on there. Far stranger. Yeah, it, but, like, you, Ryan as a YouTuber literally never comes up ever again. Didn't he have, like, 17 uh, views or something? I don't think he's... You know, was, I mean, more than mine. So, you know, it was, good for him. I think it was five... I think he had five views or something. And of those five, uh, there's two thumbs down. Yeah. God, those two people are utterly heartless. I know. Right? He's but talking about his grandmother. Obviously, we're way. supposed to think he's talking about the doctor. And and then it transpires. Oh yeah, yeah. You're, it's it's a it's a big it's it's a big kind of you know with you you think you think we're talking about the doctor, but actually we're talking about my my nan. Yeah. And um uh, and like the, what really and even though I was a bit like oh I okay fine you you're doing that uh if the moment that follows which is him essentially going. I'm like, you know, I, I'm going to, you know, make her proud, essentially. He says something to that effect. Um, and he then goes up and goes back on this bike and keeps trying. And, you know, I is, love that shot of the doctor in the background just watching. watching him yeah, silently. it's such a good shot yeah. of her watching in the tattered remains of her, of the, of her previous self's clothes it's gorgeous mm. and like the eulogy is so well it's written as useful. well because i think that follows on from it and that's um, one of the strengths of our bradley walsh is he absolutely has that bernard cribbins ability to break your heart whilst being a very funny character as wilf was mm. Um, Graham, you know, when he needs to, like, um, that moment with Prem in Demons of the Punjab, uh, you know, and he's holding back the tears. He's so good at that stuff. Who would have thought that from a, I mean, he is an actor, obviously, but from somebody who's, you know, most well known as a, a game show host. Oh, I, 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 I never doubted for a second. I was like, oh, I bet there's a good reason you've cast this man. Um, but yeah, he really comes into his own. Like he gets some achingly poignant lines, like "I should have gone and Grace should still be here." Yeah, that's like, or even like you know, the Grace I knew when I thought I didn't. The Grace I knew was the Grace who I met when I thought I didn't have much time left. So, Graham, we had these three glorious years. What are you complaining about? I'm claiming I'm complaining because I want more. It is well yeah, written. It is. Well, that that, that does gotta go back to. You know, and I will say this again. I think Chibnall doesn't always get science fiction, but he does get people. Like there was a reason why Broadchurch captured the imagination of this entire country. 
and it's because it wasn't it was because it was a good murder mystery but it was a great character drama i suppose it's what you want from the show it's very strange like if you want like complex science fiction plots don't watch this era if you want some decent character drama knock yourself out well it's weird because one of the biggest problems i have with the chibnall era is that often i feel like there's a lot of telling as far as in character moments there's a lot of characters going this is my story this is my problem this is sad oh how sad it is um and there's a lot of the worst of his writing is very expositionary yes yeah and the, it can, it gets to this point. For me, it feels very egregious where it feels like, it feels like the these character moments feel so functionally expositional. But when but I think of episodes don't like get that here. Rosa, like Demons of the Punjab, like Can You Hear Me? There are some really decent character dramas in this era. They're just not usually written by Chris Chibnall. So I've got a question for you, uh, which was actually the first thing I wrote mm-hmm. in my notes. And I think I know your answer, but I think I'd like to know why. Is four regulars or three companions too many? Uh, I would say yes. Okay. Why? I, I, I think four regulars i mean it's it's good in the sense that it it's a, it, it produces an ensemble and every and you get a sense of everybody uh, there are good moments for everybody but it does take uh, a lot of focus away from a lot of these characters i think particularly brian and yaz suffer at various points throughout series 11 and series 12 where uh, in some episodes uh they can become functionally in terms of their roles in certain stories they can feel a little interchangeable uh yeah which i don't um and i it 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 leads to a, a lack of focus on aspects of their characters one of the things we touched on earlier was that they're aggressively well defined here and bits of their character are selectively remembered later throughout the era and uh, I, I, I think it's unfair to say it, that would have been different if there had been one or two characters less um, because you could because you know you can have a character like I don't know um, uh, Clara, I suppose, for example, who is supposedly the focus of the show and gets some very inconsistent characterization, despite the fact that she is the only companion at the time. Yeah. Um, so, so saying it would have been better if they had just stuck to, you know, two companions or even one is necessarily better. But I Which do we, think we're getting rumors about that, aren't we? In the next series, that it might just be one. Yes. Yeah, it might just be Whitaker and Yaz. Uh, and all woman team, how awesome would that be? That would be very cool, that would be delightful. Um, a weird thing they do is, especially in series 12, is they bring in like this whole reef of guest characters 
it happens in Praxius, it happens in Orphan 55. Um, it happens in quite a few episodes. Uh, it happens in the Saranga conundrum as well in this series. Uh, and so there's just no room for the companions because there's yeah, a, they, a they, massive guest cast. That... And, and very often the guest casts are quite well defined. But you're like, well, what about the companions? Yeah. Yeah, I think that, but I think that's the possible problem of having three com- regular companions, which is that they kind of get squeezed out of their own stories a little bit. And it did happen um, with three before. It happened in the eighties a lot with like Adric Tegan and Nessa. Someone's always ignored in every story. I think it was okay at the beginning with like Ian, Barbara, and Susan. Ian, Barbara, and Vicky. They were such long stories that there was loads of space and time to actually give them all like a slice of the pie. Yeah. But in a, you know, 50 minute drama, it's a lot harder. Yeah. Um, and I think in some episodes it becomes tricky because then they're just like, it becomes about plot logistics and plot mathematics of going, okay, so we need to give this bit of the story to this character. We need to give that character this bit. We need to give this character this bit which is a very logistical way of giving characters moments as opposed to them, you know, this, this is a problem that Graham can uniquely solve. Um, and yet there are the uh, odd occasion where it really works. I think um, the haunting of Villa Diodati, Data, whatever it's called, um, that uses them all really well. Oh, no, I think that's one of the, the best, I think that's my favourite episode of the era. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, it's, I just, you know, so it's like that, it can work, but maybe maybe they've just kind of learned yeah. at that point, just as they're about to lose some of them. Potentially, we don't know. I think it, it takes you away does quite well as well. It takes you away to give some all good things to do. Yeah, but I feel like the character who suffered the most from this is probably Yaz, because... Certainly in, in 11, 11, less so in 12, but certainly in 11. In Eleven in particular, because, you know, with you had this storyline between Graham and Ryan about their kind of, their tr- their, the difficulties of, of connecting as family. Uh, was, and that it was a reliable story that they could fall back on throughout. And Yaz didn't have that no. kind of story. Well, she, had, she had her family, didn't she? That we she met did, she times. did. And I, I do like her family. Yeah, I, yeah there's not um, enough of them, is there? But I do remember hearing, uh, I didn't necessarily think it was entirely unfounded, uh, criticisms that, you know, even in the big episode of Series 11 where she is the focus, the demons of the Punjab, uh, which is where she is a bit of a uh, a passive character in that story. Uh, she yeah. takes a bit of a backseat to her own, not necessarily unreasonably, but she takes a backseat in the, a story story that is about her and her family and uh, their history but i do feel in series 12 that is addressed a bit she's given a strong role she's she's given like her own little plot in tesla in orphan 55 in can you hear me in spy Four at one point like you know there they there are efforts to give her more screen time and more interesting things to do and i w- i'm not at all surprised if she is the one to go into the next season because I think that's the pairing with the most potential, her and Whittaker. Mm-hmm. Because it's the it's the pairing that it um, 
in which her own potential has been so ill-defined. Does she have a crush on the Doctor? Yeah. I can't tell. I know a lot of people lean that way. Oh, I don't know. I hope so. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's something new, isn't it? Yeah, I, 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 I haven't. I didn't read that into the text myself, but hey, you know, queer representation is always good in the show. Um, so, do you uh, have any any points about the woman who fell to earth that you haven't made? We're coming towards the end now. Uh, I I have relentlessly focused on the stuff of the episode I quite like the sort of efficiency and effectiveness of the storytelling. Um, uh, I, I there's a whole speech I think Whitaker uh, gives that I didn't get into. Uh, um, where is it? I, I wrote it. I wrote it word for word. Oh, it, I think it might be the whole like it's it. it I think it just shows the how right they are in just giving the right around like when she's like you know talks about how she lost her family long ago oh, yeah. and she talks about how she carries them um it's like the right amount of mysterious um uh or just like her just saying i'm just a traveler sometimes i see things that need fixing and i do what i can is another great summing up of the character so you get a relentlessly good encapsulation of but she, she almost literally refuses story. to feel sorry um, for herself, doesn't uh, she? I, I really that. like that. That she almost refuses to, like, dwell yeah. on these things like some of the other Doctors have in the new series. I just always feel like there's a feeling yeah. of hope and, with her. There's a feeling of optimism. And I, do, I, I really like how her defining moment in this episode isn't her giving necessarily giving a speech. It's her taking charge and jumping across a crane. Uh, it's, um, and I love it. They, she gets some very doctorly lines, like her going left to, like when she says left to rot, how completely obscene yeah. is like so in character for the doctor. Or even when, you know, the guy pushes Tim Shaw off the, off the crane, she goes, you had no right to yeah, do that. I like that. Um, uh, uh, that whole speech she gives where she's like, we're all capable of the most incredible change. We can evolve and stay true to who we are. We can honor who we've been and choose who we want. Like, really well right written. We've and, kind of, we've, uh, we've written Chibnall's dialogue, but it's fairly strong here, isn't it? It's very strong here. I do think there are, are some, there are some episode, bits of the episode where I'm just like, huh? Like the whole subplot with the guy in, who abducts the teardrop in the van. Um, I, 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 that is so uninvolving. I just forget that that's in the episode every time I, yeah. I switch it. And I'm he like, spends, oh, like, yeah, there, he's in this. Yeah, and there are like two or three different shots of him just staring at it. <laughs> and then he gets, and then the first it's thing, terrible. and he's like, oh, something must be happening here. And he just gets killed immediately. It's I like, hate to say this, well, do I do think in every single Chibnall episode, there will always be a part where you're just like, what is, what is this? You know? Yeah. Also, the the guy who is the target, the, the crane operator, is a weird character. Oh, I like him. I liked his, um, I am important. I... <laughs> He's sweet. I yeah. Well, I love it. I liked him when he said, I'm not good with heights. <laughs> that was really yeah. funny. And she's like, what? 
Yeah, no, I think my favorite is like when he's like about to run across the uh, the cranes. He's like, I am brave, I am special, and you can definitely get the sense of the doctor going, yeah, 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 come on, come on. Oh, oh do you know what? One of the most doctorly lines in this is is her saying, oh. Come on, let's climb. I've got a plan. What is it? Oh, I'll know when I get to the top. That's a great line. Oh, yeah. Like, you can tell that sh- this episode has had a lot of thought put into it. It's been very well considered. You need to um, watch, listen to the commentary for this one as well, because Whitaker's on the commentary for Woman Favorite on the DVD. Oh, really? Oh, man. I, she's, she's just wonderful. Um, like, uh, she has like, a lot of technical knowledge so it's really interesting that way but just how much she loves doing this it just beams from it i just love her i'm sorry i know this is a massive whitaker loving for me but i just think, yeah. i think she was a great choice and i i don't think i still don't think we've seen the absolute best of her but i really feel like we're getting there i think it's weird i think she gets a lot of very commanding material here but it's very subtle. Yeah. But it's there. Like even but even her like charging out into the streets and shouting, Oi! She does it with a lot of conviction. Uh and she's yeah, she's marvelous in the story. I anybody who thinks she can't be the doctor, I challenge them to go back to her very first story. Um, Do you think this I is think, her her best then? Ooh, that's a I'm not sure I'd necessarily say it's her best. It's her at her best. Because I feel like she struggles with some of like the techno babble and the exposition in series 11. She hasn't quite found a way of making it sound interesting like like the best actors who play the Doctor do. But in series 12, something clicks and it's around uh, Spyfall, uh, Orphan 55. Actually, I think it's Orphan 55, where suddenly she's just reeling off the techno babble in quirky, interesting ways. And I feel like, yeah, you've really just got this part now and you're running with it. Yeah, and I think it is a bit of a choice that this episode is fairly light on the techno babble. Um, oh, thank God. <laughs> which is it. the right choice yeah. if you're introducing a show and you're just like, hmm, maybe it's sort of, maybe we shouldn't have overcomplicated, like, the Atraxi have stolen Artron energy and they're going to invade the Eye of Harmony. What's interesting is of the opening salvo, you've got Woman Who Fell to Earth, Ghost Monument, and Rosa. I think the Ghost Monument is the problem of the three. Oh, absolutely. I like. I remember you messaged me, and you're just like the, the cliffhanger for episode for this episode always makes me want to like keep to, yeah. watching the show. And I actually and I think like, the first ten minutes of the Ghost Monument is really strong, and then it just sort of it's. I don't think it's a terrible episode. I don't think it's like the worst. But it is just kind of insubstantial and a bit empty. But then you get Rosa, and that is, if you need an endorsement of this era, there it is. I remember you watched Rosa, and you were like, okay, that's the first time this has all clicked together for me. Although I think you've kind of changed your mind on this one now. Yeah, I mean, I really quite liked this, this episode on first viewing. It was always going to be hard for me because, you know, I was leaving a version of the show that I really liked. I I'm a, was a big fan of the Capaldi era. So it was, and, you know, it's always hard to say goodbye to a version of the show that you like. But going back to The Woman Who Fell to Earth, I was like, ah, this is really good. This is really good. Can I make a confession? Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I have a secret love for Arachnids in the UK, and I don't care who knows it. 
I, it's a real it's guilty not. pleasure for me. I really like it. Don't pretend this is a secret. You gave it a 7 out of 10 on your blog. <gasps> I think I'd give it a 6. Well, I think I'd give it an 8 now. I, every time I watch it, I love it more. It is hokey as hell. And the message is overdone. But it's just got so much energy. And I just really love it. Yeah, you, you, you're going to have to do a lot more to sell me on that. Well, I like the ceramic conundrum, so what do I know? Yeah, well, apparently I like Hellbent and you like the Timeless Children, so what do either of us know? Oh, nothing at all. Why are you even listening to us people, honestly? Yeah, yeah, we should probably, we should probably leave you alone, listen <laughs> to someone else. Although we probably should wrap up here because we have. Yeah, do you, I should say, do you have any final points about this episode that you haven't said and would like to say? I think it's a really confident start. Uh, I think there are some deliberate choices made here to push away from where the show's been. Uh, it's far more accessible than the show's been for a long time. And the Doctor is far more likable than she's been for a long time. Um, her sex isn't even mentioned. Oh, no, but once, I think. It skipped over really, really quickly, and I think that was the right approach here. I think maybe somewhere along the line in that first season, it should have been handled somewhere along the line, but I'm really pleased that that wasn't the focus of this. Um, Tim Shaw's a bit rubbish, but, you know, hey-ho. I, I thought the plot in Rose was a bit rubbish as well. So I think as long as, as, long as you're guessing the characters right, in this first episode, um, then then you're doing a good thing. And I think it's not easy to introduce four separate characters, define them this well, and bring them together this effortlessly. I think he does a really good job of that. I think I think a lot of I think this is probably his strongest script from the first series he did. Yeah, I would probably agree with you. Actually, I have a. Um... Uh, just before we run out of time, mm -hmm. I feel like we should actually give a very quick word to the um, uh, new music that we get in this in, yeah. in this episode. It's it's um, it's a lot more subtle and less emotionally manipulative. I find I, I love Morigold's music. I probably prefer it overall, but then there are what. Ten seasons of it. That's not really a fair comparison. Ten seasons of Murray Gold, as opposed to what two two seasons of Sigun Akinola. But I I do love the scores in series eleven and series twelve. What do you think? They're very. Oh, I think I think as soon as I heard the music, I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is bang on the kind of music the show needs. It gets the. It's very stripped back, which is, I think, what you needed to do after you've had Murray Gold. Because, no, you're not going to get more epic and more dramatic no. and more emotional than Murray Gold. But going back to this kind of tech, this very stripped back version of the music that is really about it as this kind of eerie, ambient music is very much the spirit of the show. And I think he, he definitely, I think, as he gets along, Particularly in series twelve, I think I haven't listened to the soundtrack, but from memory, oh, it, there there's some. It get the music starts getting a lot bigger in a good way. I think. Yeah, like, I think uh, it started yeah. with resolution, where he went really like percussion heavy with the Dalek mm. scenes in Re revolution. No, resolution, resolution. That's it. 
Yeah, resolution. He has a great theme for the master reveal as well. That is. He's a great. He's a great, great, great theme for the Doctor as well. Oh yeah, and there's a really nice um, theme that is used quite a bit, where they're all. It's used here and it's used in Rosa. I know that at least. Where they're all doing their like investigative stuff, and it's this really nice ambient kind of jolly. We're all working towards the same aim. Star music. That's really lovely mm. as well. No, I think I think I and it was time, don't you think, for a new composer? Yeah, absolutely. Like you know, Latin, Murray Gold had a tremendous run on the show. He's mm. done some of his most iconic music, and a lot of his music towards the end in the latter days is really good. Like the obviously the whole score of Heaven Sent is amazing. Oh, uh, the Shepherd's Boy. Uh, yeah, yeah, the Shepherd's Boy is astonishing. But like after you know he had been there for. Uh, technically more than 10 seasons. Um, you could predict and... the music sometimes towards the end. Like, Sorry? Um, you could predict the music sometimes towards the end. Yeah, which is, uh, which, you know, you get that with like someone like Dudley Simpson as well. Oh, um, uh, so getting a new composer is one of those changes that is very welcome in a brand new era of the show. Definitely. Um, uh so yeah yeah woman who fell to earth i really really loved it on rewatch i find it frustrating that the show never quite lives up consistently lives up on the whole to the promise of that first episode for me personally um it has its it definitely has its highs in certain places you know things like uh uh demons of the pond jeff and rosa are huge highs that's sore. I'd, I'd say this this is strong, but yeah, the the big hitters are Rosa, Punjab, It Takes You Away, um, Spyfall, which I really love. Um, God, gosh, I forgot the name of the episode. Fugitive of the Jadoon. Um, mm-hmm. And I really have, oh, sorry, uh, Haunting of Villa Diodati. And I really like, personally, Ascension of the Cybermen as well. I think they're all kind of stronger episodes. So I, I do think it hits higher highs than this. But this is a really good opening pitch. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I uh, I have a question for you. Hit to me. kind of, how would you personally rank debut Doctor Stories? Well, all of them. No, 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 just for the new series. Oh, Christ. Uh, okay. That, that's, so that's Rose. That is New Earth. No, sorry, the Christmas uh, Christmas Invasion. Um, uh, the 11th Hour, Deep Breath, and The Woman Who Fell to Earth. How would you rank those personally? Uh, the 11th Hour, weirdly, given how much I really don't like that era. The 11th Hour, uh, The Woman... No, uh, the eleventh hour, Christmas invasion, the woman who fell to earth. Oh God, what were the others? Oh, um, Rose, deep breath. Mm-hmm. What about you? I think I have, and actually, I think I actually have an identical list. Really, deep breath yeah, at the bottom—that surprises me. Well, I, 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 well, I do quite like it. Um, or maybe would I put? Would I put Rose below Deep Breath? I don't know, but I definitely would go 11th Hour, Christmas Invasion, uh, 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 then Woman Who Fell to Earth, 
Um, I'm, and then I'm not sure which where I would put deep breath and rose. What's baffling uh, to me is is like eleventh hour is my number one, and deep breath is my number five. So where he got it so right for me in that one, he, he re- I had, I had huge issues with deep breath. But and this, I think this is certainly a far stronger introduction. Oh, absolutely. I don't think I, I think it's very hard to deny that. But as we cap out int- uh, discussions about introductions of the show, what are we actually talking about next week? I don't think we've decided, have we? I well, this is the problem. We never actually consult that this book that in which you, we've written all your ideas. <laughs> well, look, we said, you know, we said we would do a commentary. Why don't we do our very first commentary? Or alternatively, we could do our debate on, we could do the case for and against uh, Hellbent and Timeless Children. It would be, but that would be another new series, and we haven't gone classic for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're doing a commentary. I mean, we could do the other one. We are so ill-prepared. We're deciding what the podcast is going to be on the podcast. I, you know what? You know what I'm very tempted to say we do? Go on. I say, I say we do, we pull exactly what we did last week and say we're going to review series one, the second half again, and we, we leave it up to the audience. We, we wait until next week until it turns out we're actually telling okay. the truth or not. Actually, let's do it at the end of every episode. So next week we'll be reviewing the second half of Rusty Davis Series 1 until we decide midweek that we're not going to do that and we'll let you know next week what we are going to do. The the guy, the one man or, or the one person who really loves the long game oh, is just going to tear their is going to tear their hair out. It must have been really sad in that previous episode where I skipped over it completely. I must have broken his heart. Unforgivable, truly. Sorry. Um, But are we going to see ourselves out on our usual note? Yep. You can count us down. Okay. Ready? Mm -hmm. Three, two, one. The The nine nine one be praised. Oh, my God, we did it. Woo! Uh, well, it's as close as we're ever going to get. Yeah. We'll, ca- we'll catch you next time. Catch you next time.